When I was a child, I used to occasionally have a meal at a neighbor's home. And we grew up uh, in a community where the neighbors were tight friends with my parents. And uh, there were two homes in particular that when I would have a meal with the family, I would often sit partway through that meal thinking to myself, how could I join this family? This family is fun. This family is good. I always have that experience. When I come to visit St. Alfred's Anglican, when I come to visit one community church uh, here in Blackburn as we do these annual pulpit swaps. When I was young, I would always end up going back home and uh, in a few short hours get normalized again and it's good to be home. And I'm sure that'll happen. But every time I visit, uh, I just celebrate the uniquenesses that we together bring to the celebration of the Christian faith. And we all do it a little differently. And because we do it a little differently and because we can uh, learn from each other, we are better together. We are stronger on the journey. I learned something today about Baptists. I learned that clearly we have more sins than Anglicans because when I was invited to tell God why I was sorry, I was just getting started as we were moving on <laughs> to the next part of this, the, the, the service. And, and clearly, we Baptists have more work to do in that area. Well, I want to wish you a happy new year this morning. I want to wish you a happy new year. Don't worry, you haven't missed Come Celebrate. It's just around the corner. Uh, we look forward to everything we're going to do, but I want to wish you a happy new year because uh, this is such a significant New Year's Day. I'm not referring to the Gregorian calendar. I'm not referring to the calendar by which we mark off the dates the 2nd of December, and so on through uh, this season. Uh, formed and put in place by Pope Gregory XIII in the 1500s, we mark off time with it, and we'll celebrate that new year in a few weeks' time. I'm not talking about the Chinese New Year. All of Melbourne will turn out in a few months' time to celebrate uh, yet another New Year's date as the Chinese calendar, uh, the, the, the uh, loony solar calendar that actually marks the dates differently. I'm not talking about the Persian calendar. In our church, we have a Persian congregation. So we celebrate New Year's again a little later in the year following their calendar. I'm not talking about the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, which will come very soon. Do you know what year we are in on the Jewish? Yeah, 5779. Five, so somebody's got their, uh, their, 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 their Jewish history, history pegged. Um, and, and it's significant as we move towards 6,000. Talk about that in a minute. There are lots of ways to mark the new year, culture on culture. But today is the New Year's Day for the Christians who attend to the Christian calendar. It's the beginning of Advent. It's when we reset our walk. It's when we re-establish this amazing journey of being followers of Jesus. And what's fascinating is that we do not start Advent with the birth of Jesus. We start Advent with great expectation. The Christian journey begins by leaning forward and saying, He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. That's where the Christian journey begins. And we will roll on through the year once again to celebrate 
the birth of Jesus with all the joy and wonder that that brings, the death of Jesus with all the significance that that infuses into our lives, the resurrection with all of the hope that that means, and then those weeks of ordinary time as we put it all into practice and march faithfully forward, and we'll do it again and we'll do it again until he comes. And we begin, Happy New Year, with great expectation, with great anticipation. The word Advent means coming. It means coming. And I want to talk this morning about two things that should not surprise you in the least and two things that will surprise you every time we think about the coming of the Lord, every time we experience the ways in which God comes to us profoundly in history, intimately in our personal journeys, our families, our workplaces, our community lives. God longs to be among us and to show himself and to be our God as we respond as his people. Here's the first thing that should not surprise you. It shouldn't surprise you because we've been celebrating it all morning already. I'm going to tell it to you straight. You should not be surprised that he is coming. You shouldn't be surprised. Nor should anyone in Israel's history The Pharisees and the Sadducees who come out to see John the Baptist baptizing in the wilderness, that brood of vipers, John the Baptist calls them. Uh, That's harsh language. That's stirring challenge. I wonder what that means. That, That brood of vipers should have known. You should know. You're in church this morning. If you learn nothing else, know this. He is coming. It should never surprise you that he is coming. It's everywhere in the Bible. And John the Baptist expected this. That's why he went to the wilderness. It's why we have that that marvelous quotation from Isaiah chapter 40. Prepare the way of the Lord. Because he's coming. And this shouldn't surprise us. Simeon and Anna used to go to the temple until they were seniors waiting for the coming of the Messiah. It's everywhere there in the scriptures. And a marvelous Christmas study is to explore the seniors of the Christmas story. They're front and center, and their their impact and involvement is so profound. It shouldn't surprise us, because it's everywhere announced and always to be expected. That he is coming should not surprise us. Why Why would John call these these fellows vipers? who come out to greet him. It's a a caustic, perhaps he's challenging them the way Jesus challenged Herod, that fox. A metaphor to kind of put them in their place. Um, William Barclay has an interesting reflection on this. He says that uh, uh, the the, the metaphor might well refer to uh, the experience that you have when a fire rages through the bush or when the uh, farmer comes to harvest the field And when that activity begins, when the harvest begins, always a metaphor for the end, for the coming of Jesus. When the fire begins, there's a lot of fire in this passage. Did you notice it? What tends to happen is that it pushes all the mice and the rodents and the scurrying animals and the snakes out of the bush. And they run ahead of the fire. They rush ahead of the reaper and scurry to find safety. And John is saying, oh, the vipers are here. The snakes are out of the bush. The end is coming. Who's told you? Well, we all know who's told them. We we all know God tells us that he's coming. And in in a caustic kind of way, 
John the Baptist is saying the snakes are here. That proves that the end is coming. The fire is about to burn. The reaper is here with his winnowing fork, ready to separate the wheat from the chaff. And he refers to them as the, as the children of Abraham because that's their hope and their comfort and the promise. But he says that they, that they cannot take ref, refuge in that heritage. So here's John the Baptist out there in the wilderness, baptizing people in, 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 in obedience to, to a, a call to, to repentance. He's, he's calling the people to repentance. And they get baptized to be repentant, to, to, to demonstrate their repentance. And he says to these Sadducees, Pharisees, leaders, religious people, he says, where is the fruit? I can baptize you, but there needs to be fruit. There needs to be evidence of life change. There needs to be some reality. Where's the justice? Where's the mercy? Where's the humility as you walk with God? Those markers, those truths need to be in place. And this is a baptism that signals that willingness to walk God's way. Pharisees and the Sadducees were people who knew that God was coming. And they should have been more ready, yeah? But listen to what John chapter 1 says. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Speaking of Jesus. He came to that which was his own. He came to Israel. He came to the Hebrew people rescued by God out of Egypt. He came to the temple. He came to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes. He came to all the publicans and tax collectors and sinners. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, the outside edge. The people most forgotten and often unnoticed, to those who did receive him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. How is it that a whole nation who lives with the great expectation that God will come missed it? The Jewish calendar runs from a date that they estimate to be the, the date of creation. And there is an expectation within Jewish literature, in the Talmud, in the, in the Midrash, that, that the Messiah must come. The deadline is 6,000 years. The Messiah must come within 6,000 years. This year is 5,779. So we're 221 years off, off the arrival of the Messiah, according to Jewish heritage and tradition. They are so expectant, they date their calendar, they, 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 they set, a, set an end date for that, but they missed it. Uh, didn't, didn't respond. Some, some did, some did. And Paul holds out hope. Oh my goodness, he holds out hope for all that God is going to do through that chosen people. Uh, but there are some things that will surprise you. They will surprise you. That he is coming should never surprise us. That he is coming is something you can be confident of. You can anchor that. You can. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, because there is a great expectation alive in the followers of Jesus that the king of all creation is coming. He has come. He will come. This is our great hope. That he is coming is no surprise. But I'll tell you what is a surprise. When he's coming and how it will happen is always a surprise. It is always a surprise. 
And that's where faith is demanded. That's where obedience is called for. That's where repentance stirs our lives to watch and wait, to discern and wait, to see as we wait. When he's coming, we just don't know. We're just not told. The disciples, the very last question, they spent three years with Jesus. He's done amazing things, not the least of which was to die and rise again. They have 40 days to talk with him. And he teaches them about the kingdom of God. And then, and then he, he, he goes to glory. And just before, the clouds lift him into the presence of God and enthrone him in majesty. Just before that very last question, they say, so when will you be back? And Jesus says, don't know. <laughs> the Father knows. That I will return is absolutely certain. But you will have to wait, and you will have to walk by faith, not by sight, and you will have to celebrate Advent I don't know how many times. But you keep celebrating Advent. You keep holding on to that hope. Never let it go. Because the when, the when will surprise you. And so later in the, in, in, in the writing of the Gospels, in the writing of the letters, in the writing of all that which sustains the church, we are reminded that it's, it's like a thief in the night. You don't know when. It's, 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 it's a, a, a thing that you must prepare for, but you cannot date it on your calendar. And here's another thing that will surprise you. How it will happen. How it will happen is a surprise again and again and again. That God will come. That God in all of his grace wants to push into our experiences and be present with us now and forever. That he wants to be present in this world in an amazing recreating way is absolutely certain. But how it will happen? How it will happen? Oh my goodness. Oh my, they never saw it coming. They never saw how it would happen. They knew it was coming. They didn't know when. And how it happens is always incredible. Jacob never saw that, that wrestle with a dream, a wrestle with an angel in a dream from which he woke up with a limp. He didn't see that coming. But oh my goodness, the impact. Moses didn't see that burning bush coming. Nor did the children of Israel see all those plagues and a parted sea and time at Sinai, and crossing the Jordan into the promised land. Surprise after surprise after surprise after surprise. That he is coming is no surprise. But how it will happen? So you're praying. Right now, you're praying for something in your life. You're wrestling with God for some victory in some challenge. That God will come to you. I am 100% confident when and how it will happen. I haven't got a clue. But this I know. It will blow your mind. It will excite you beyond expectation because this is the promise, what God has prepared for those who love him. Eyes haven't seen it. Ears haven't heard it. Minds haven't imagined it. It's just bigger and more wonderful. And that's what keeps happening in the, in the biblical narratives and in the unrolling of God's incredible history through time. There are some things that should not surprise you. One is that God will come. That should not surprise us at all. But when it will happen and how it will happen, that God reserves to delight us 
and amaze us and draw greater praise out of us because every time we experience the coming of God, it stirs us to greater wonder and greater celebration and greater amazement in who God is. That's why we have the scriptures. It's why we have the record of all the amazing ways in which God became present among his people. And says the book of Hebrews, although he has spoken through the prophets for many ages, he has spoken most decisively through the coming of Jesus Christ. Surprise! Watermelons and push bikes. Surprise! (laughs) A pregnant teenager and an unexpected Messiah who's the son of a carpenter, or is he his son? He's, 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 he's not even, not even legitimate. Or is he legitimate? Is he so amazingly legitimate that it blows your mind? He's the son of God. The followers come to realize. And he speaks truth and he speaks wisdom and he does miracles that cause everybody to marvel. We haven't seen anybody with this kind of authority before. And so when God comes, he surprises and amazes and blows our minds. But we need to be walking by faith. We need to be looking and expecting. We need to be discerning and searching because here he comes in Israel to a group of people that have been waiting and they don't even notice it. They know that he will come, but because they don't know when and they don't know how, they have rooted their expectations, they have boxed in their their way of thinking, and it goes right past them. I do not want to miss God's coming in my life. I do not want to miss the things of the Spirit in my family. I do not want to miss the ways God is at work in our community. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to be awake. We need to see what God is doing and respond and lean in and receive. And He's going to come once and for all in amazing splendor and set things right. Let me tell you one other thing that shouldn't surprise you. So here's, here's something that shouldn't surprise you and two things that should. It shouldn't surprise you that God is coming. But it should surprise you. It will surprise you. There is no choice but to be surprised when he will come and how it will happen in such wonder and splendor. But here's one more thing that should not surprise you. Why, why he is coming. That shouldn't surprise you. Because that is everywhere in the scriptures. It shouldn't surprise anyone. Because we have the knowledge and should share the knowledge. Why is he coming? To bless and to judge and to make all things new. That's why he's coming. He's coming to bless and to judge and to make everything new. He is coming to pour out his love and grace to judge injustice and sinfulness and to recreate new heaven, new earth. To make all things new. And in this passage of John's, of, of, uh, uh, from, from the Gospel of Matthew, of John the Baptist, we see that clearly. This expectation of a brand new hope. They go out to the Jordan River out in the desert, and they're being baptized. And the Jordan River is significant. That's where they crossed into the Promised Land. It's the boundary of the Promised Land. They, they were rescued out of Egypt. They wandered through the wilderness. And then the children of God stand at the border... And we've got a river here, and we've got a great group of people, and we need to cross over. And it is God who opens the doors to the promised land. It is God who separates the water and says, welcome home. 
and they enter into this land of promise. So John the Baptist takes people back to the Jordan River and says, in, in, in effect, we need, to, we need to start over. We need to come into God's promises afresh. We need, to, we need to walk into the Jordan River and walk out of it new people. We need to, to repent and start over. And that's what he's calling them to. That, that, that's, that's, that's why God comes to, to start afresh, to bring blessing and judgment and to make all things new. And John hammers the judgment theme in this passage. Did you notice? You know, this, is, this is a wonderful Christmas reading that ends with the phrase, his winnowing fork is in his hand, he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barns and burning up the chap with unquenchable fire. Amen. That's where the text ends. It's a text of, of judgment. And so what's judgment for? Judgment is for injustice. Judgment is for evil. Judgment is against everything that makes the creation untenable. Everything that makes God's will undoable. Everything that unwinds God's purposes. It will be dealt with. It will be consumed. It will be concluded. He's coming to wipe away every tear. He's coming to stop all mourning and take away grief. He's coming to set us at, at ease in Zion. He is coming to bring peace on earth and goodwill to everyone who, who knows his favor. This is the amazing promise. This is what we are expecting. You shouldn't be surprised by the fact that he will come, nor should you be surprised by why he will come. And since those two things shouldn't surprise you, then, then we should get ready. I don't know when. I don't know how it will happen, all the mechanics. I know he'll come in the way that he left. I know that he'll come on the clouds. But I don't know what 2,000 years of technology will mean for that. I don't know how it will happen. It will blow our minds. I know this. It'll be much better than, than Facebook and Twitter and, and Snapchat. I, I don't think Jesus is coming on Snapchat. I think he's coming to stay. He's coming to stay. And, 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 and as he comes, it will blow our minds how he does that. But we need to be ready. We need to be ready. And this, this passage talks a lot about judgment and about fire. Fire is repeated there several times. Fire. So I've been reading this season and preparing myself uh, and, and, uh, through the Advent season. I'm reading Athanasius uh, on the Incarnation. A, a lovely essay from hundreds of years ago. Uh, he lived within a few hundred years of Jesus' time. Just, just a, a beautiful reflection and in that uh, essay, he, he, he has a wonderful metaphor where he reflects on why did Jesus have to come and die for our sins? And what does it mean to say that he has taken away our sins, but he has given us his life? And how is it that we, we, can, we can celebrate this gift from Jesus at this Advent season? How can we be right and ready and expecting his return with joy? And he, he reflects on this fire metaphor. So let me read you his words. Whereas stubble is naturally destructible by fire, supposing, firstly, a man keeps fire away from the stubble, though it is not burned, yet the stubble remains, for all that, merely stubble, fearing the threat of fire. For fire has the natural property of consuming it while if a man, secondly, encloses it with a quantity of asbestos, 
Who knew there was asbestos in the 300s? Obviously, this was before they knew some of the things we know today. The substance said to be an antidote, an antidote to fire. The stubble no longer dreads the fire, being secured by its enclosure in incombustible matter. Do you see the beautiful image? Why is it that God doesn't just say, look, your sins, I, I, I've seen you, I won't, I won't, I won't touch you, I'll, you know, I'll just burn over here and burn over here, but, but, but you're okay. Why to such great lengths? And what is this gift of salvation? And what is this robe of righteousness? And what is this, this being in Christ? What is this? And Athanasius says, think of, think of it this way. If all God did for you was said, you're stubble, you're weak, you're burnable, I just won't burn in your direction. We would still, as burnable beings, live in fear. But this is what God has done for you. And what God has done for me. And what I celebrate every day. He has given me the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith in his name. And Athanasius says, think about it this way. That God has wrapped you in an incombustible reality. So that you don't burn. And fire can do what fire does, but not to you. Not to you. And judgment can do what judgment does, but not to you, because you are in Christ. You are gathered up in the righteousness of God. You are enclosed in his love and care. And that's what it is to be an Advent person, able to celebrate this incredible hope, to explore it and unlock it and lean into it and to share it and to invite the whole world into it. God is not willing that any should perish. The Advent is not an expectation that God will come and we should grin at the fire that would come. Not not at all. God's great hope and expectation, God's great desire and love is to redeem and to save and to bless that we might be a blessing to others. The Advent is a great hope. That That he is coming should not surprise you. And why he is coming to bless and to judge and to make all things new should not surprise you. But here's the thing. When he's coming will surprise you. And how it will happen will amaze you. How it will happen at the end of time will amaze all of creation. How it will happen in all the amazing and beautiful ways that God comes to us in our experiences will amaze you. So be ready. Be ready. That's the Advent message. Be ready. Learn from Jesus. Trust Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Welcome Jesus. Let Jesus clothe you. Let Jesus forgive you. Let Jesus encompass you. To be in Christ is a beautiful place. It's an incombustible place. It's a glorious place. And it's an Advent place. It's a place from which you can say every morning, Hallelujah, Maranatha. Praise the Lord. Come, Jesus. It's a place from which every day you can know with confidence He's coming and I know why. And you can wait with great expectation. I haven't got a clue when. And it is going to be amazing because nobody has seen anything like this before. Hallelujah, Maranatha. Amen. Let's pray. 
loving God, we celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the great expectation that it stirs within our souls. Lord, once again, as we greet a new calendar Christian year, we celebrate the coming and all the expectation, all the hope, all the promise, all the eager excitement that it stirs within us. Let that rise, Father God, in the church of Jesus Christ, in this city, in this nation, and around the world. May we, the followers of Jesus, be so filled with expectation for all that you will do, for all that you will do as you come. May we be a people who live counterculturally, who live with joy and purpose and promise, who live with a hallelujah on our lips and a maranatha in our hearts. Until you come. Amen.